Good morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. I am so delighted that you have joined us today online. We are in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through uh, 5. And let's begin uh, in the Word of God and with prayer. Lord, as we begin to study your Word, would you come and speak your wisdom to us? May your Holy Spirit encourage and enlighten us to not only experience more of you, but the peace that you bring into our lives. Father, give us wisdom to make decisions and give us the peace uh, to fall into those decisions. Lord, come and join us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love God, and I enjoy the scripture so much. I cannot wait to get into this. So let's begin in chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Paul has reached the city of Derby and Lystra, and he has invited a young disciple named Timothy to join him and his partner Silas in this journey of doing missionary work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Now, Timothy is a young man of good reputation among the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Now, what that means is Timothy is well known he is probably a very moral man, a very devout Jew, and he is known by the Greeks in that area, as well as the Jews. This is interesting, though. But there was a problem. Although Timothy's mother was a believing Jew, which is where Timothy gets his faith, his father was Greek. This meant that Timothy was uncircumcised. And because the Jewish people of those cities knew that he was the son of a Greek man, Paul felt it would be of the best interest for Timothy to become circumcised before proceeding. Now, the reason this is such a bizarre passage is we just read in chapter 15 of Acts, this council of Jerusalem that meets to discuss this very idea of does somebody who comes to faith in Jesus that was not brought up Jewish or of Jewish heritage, would they have to go back and become Jewish? Would they have to follow the circumcision of Abraham, the laws that was given by God to the people through Moses? Would they have to continue in all the holidays and religious celebrations? Would they have to offer the same type of sacrifices that were mandated in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? That's the question. Well, the reality is the disciples who come together in this early church and the church leaders Paul, Peter, uh, you'll see uh, James, the brother of Jesus, as one of the leaders there. They come together to debate with those around them to decide what is the definitive answer. And what they come up with is no, in fact, the freedom of Christ that comes upon us through the Holy Spirit. The people that have been looking out all over for who God is and they begin searching and finding him in the person of Jesus Christ, they are saved by the very act of God's grace. They don't need to become circumcised or to memorize and follow all the commandments of the laws or to follow all the Jewish holidays. Now, that doesn't mean those are bad things or that we shouldn't do them. It just simply means you don't have to. And so the Greeks and the Romans and those from other cultures and civilizations can now come to know Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit without first becoming Jewish, which is just radical for the early church. Now, in the midst of this, though, James brings up a very important point. Now, James is a very devout Jewish man who has come to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, his Lord and his Savior. What I love about James is he's well known in Jerusalem, a very Jewish city by nature, and people know him as a devout Jew. 
And so it gives him this opportunity to share the gospel in a way that others probably could not. Because they see the Jewishness of James, they're willing to let him into their lives and allow him to speak truth of the scriptures and how the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, point to the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so this is a very powerful place uh, in which James is now seated as a leader in the early church. He's trying to maintain a good public image where he can connect and share the gospel with the Jews in that area, as well as connect with this early church, which is made up of, of a hot mess of people from all over, not only Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, and even the ends of the earth, like Luke talked about in the beginning of the book of Acts. But what I love is that James comes up with something that is truly radical and very pertinent for who and what we are today as followers of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, I acknowledge the full freedoms given to us in Jesus Christ. However, there are four things I think we need to ask all the Gentiles to abstain from simply because the Jews that have become Christians cannot handle or make sense of it. They don't have the freedom yet. And so would you be willing to restrain your freedom as a new convert and believer in Jesus Christ for the betterment of others, that they too might come to know the freedom you have? Can you imagine how radical that idea is? That I am going to put myself down for someone else, or I'm going to lay aside my own desires and principles and freedoms in order to benefit and bless someone else that they too might come to know the freedoms I have. This is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. I believe it's in Philippians where Paul talks about Christ emptying himself, where he literally poured out, or, or the image is, is like a vessel being emptied out. He pours out his deity he pours out his power and authority. He pours out everything that makes him God in order to take on flesh. Now, that doesn't mean that he isn't God or that he doesn't have those powers and abilities. What it means, though, is he put them all aside in order to take on flesh and become a part of the human race, in order to show us how to live our lives in a way that reconnects us to God so that you and I can be children of the living God. Isn't that amazing that he would give up so much? That the term that scriptures use is he humbled himself. Well, in the same way, Paul here is saying, let's humble ourselves. In fact, Paul's instructions have always been this, that believers should give up their rights, their preferences, their freedoms for the sake of others. This is the essence of sacrifice, and this is exactly what Jesus did. Now, Paul is going to do something radical, though. After he has fought so vehemently uh, for this, he's now going to turn to Timothy and say, Timothy, now the area in which we're going to share the gospel has a lot of Jewish traditions. A lot of people follow the Jewish faith. When they hear that you are not Jewish, that's going to be a stumbling block to them to understand the faith. And so I'm going to ask something huge of you. I'm going to ask you to circumcise yourself so that everyone will know that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ and the Jews will not have a stumbling block in front of them. Now, this almost seems contradictory to chapter 15, but it's not. It's the same message. Can you put aside your freedoms, restraining your freedoms for the sake of others?
so that they might come to know the freedom you have in Jesus Christ. What if that is reversed and we have to give up something or become something? Timothy is going to become, by all outward appearance, Jewish, simply so that others would not have a stumbling block in front of them. They wouldn't say, oh, here's some Gentile fool. They'll say, here's a Jew, one of us, talking to us about how the scriptures make sense in pointing us to the Messiah found in Jesus Christ. Now, in our world today, I'm hearing all sorts of things. My wife is a teacher and I get to hear all the struggles people are having with the school board or, or other parents or the teachers. And people are arguing, should we go back to school? Should we not? And it's become quite heated. And I hear all the different arguments. Well, what about those that are sick? We don't want them to get more sick or perhaps even threaten their lives. And for the kids that are stuck home and in dangerous spots, we don't want them stuck there. We want them to come and be free at school and be safe. But how do we pick a right way to navigate in such uncertain times? Even now we're challenged with do we or do we not open the church? You know, I'm gonna be honest with you. Right now we have been battling a couple different things. Number one, we've been battling just a logistical piece in the mall. Many of you may know, but many of our air conditioning and heating units have been broken. We've patched them back together. We're working with the mall. Uh, it's really the mall's responsibility to repair them. And this has been ongoing since September, but we have finally reached an agreement and they're working on fixing that problem, but without circulating air and being able to control the heat and the cold in this space, we cannot gather for worship. You add that to the same challenges we're having, listening to people in our congregation talk to us about their fear of returning and how uncertain these times are. How do I know or how can I guarantee that I or my family won't get sick if we come to church? And the reality is we cannot. It seems that our governor is trying very hard to not take away our religious freedoms. He's asking us to take a higher ground and saying, look, Please don't meet in groups of more than 10. Do your best to wear a mask and wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, and keep yourself and others safe. And if we do this together, we can help put an end to this pandemic. Now, for all different reasons, political, moral, flat out logistics, people have chosen their own path during this pandemic. And it's easy to point fingers and get angry at others' decisions because their decisions do in fact affect us. But I'm gonna ask you to do something radical. I'm gonna ask you to be a Christian. I'm gonna ask you to take your freedoms and restrain them. And that even means the freedom of your opinion. It means the freedom of attacking one another. And set those aside. I'm not saying giving up your values, but I am saying we're going to restrain some of our freedoms for the sake and hope of Jesus Christ that others might find Jesus in the midst of this. I know one of the concerns right now in the school district my wife works in is the 70 some percent of the parents would like their kids to return to school while 70 some percent of the teachers are nervous or afraid to come back to school. That's a real challenge on how we work that out. One of the parents came to my wife and said, you know, I would love to go to battle for you. And what a dear friend to say, I want to fight for your freedoms too and make sure that you are safe. My wife's response, I thought, was so powerful. She simply said, you know, I really appreciate your love for me, 
But I'm afraid in the midst of all this uncertainty, all it will do is fuel more anger and dissension between each other. Instead, pray for us as we seek God for the best decision possible for myself, for my children, for my community, for everyone. You know, I thought that took a lot of maturity. This is a difficult time as my wife and I not only have jobs in which we interact with people, but we have three young children who interact with others. We too are trying to navigate this and I want to give you some tips in which I think might help you and your family navigate this. Number one, Whenever we're faced with a decision, whether it's to do something in action or to say something with our mouth, maybe even the thoughts we think, I want you to challenge yourself with this. Does this love God and love others? If your action, your comment, or your thought can't do both of those, it's not a good one to have. In fact, it's not one that will honor God and it's not one that will bring you life. If anything, it'll add to the dissension and the frustration and the confusion in your own life. The second thing, pray. Seek your wise counsel, but then I want you to pray. And I want you to make a decision for you or for you and your family, and I want you to hold to it. It's okay. It's okay if your decision differs from other people. You have to decide what makes the most sense for your circumstance. Not everyone shares your circumstance. We have a dear friend who is very healthy. She's not afraid to go back and teach so much, except that she fears that if she were to contract this virus and go home, she might give it to her mother-in-law who lives with them, who does suffer from many medical illnesses. That's a real problem. You know, I don't know if there's an answer to all this. Like you, I've been listening to the news and reading articles, and if anything, it just makes me more frustrated, and it fuels my fear. You know what? We're not meant to live in fear. We're meant to live in the hope that God gives us. And so here's our hope. Our hope is that you and I can make a difference in this world. Number one, we're going to challenge ourselves to live, talk, and think like Jesus. We're going to always ask the question, does this love God? Does this love others? And if it can't, we're going to make a commitment to not do it, not say it, not think it. Number two, we're going to make the best decision we can with our circumstances in mind for ourselves and our family. And it's okay if we want to change our minds later, but we're going to stick to it. And three, we're not going to attack others. You know, people are going to differ in opinion, thought, lifestyle, choice. So what? That doesn't change you. Just like Timothy chose to become circumcised, it didn't change who he was. He simply did it out of the act and care of loving others. He restrained his freedoms so that others might know Jesus Christ. Will you restrain your freedoms during this difficult time so that you can help others accept and understand who Jesus Christ is? You will be amazed at what God wants to do in and through you. But let's be the change this world needs. Let's be the difference. You know, I want to take communion with you today, and I've done something silly and radical at the same time. This is my cup of water I usually bring with me. And I brought this salted nut roll. It's like a candy bar. The reason I brought these is it reminded me of this trip we took to Mexico many years ago to do a mission work down there at a school. 
a group of us met together in the hotel room and we were worshiping God every morning and praying together and reading scriptures and talking about our experiences. And then one Sunday, or I mean one day, uh, people said, hey, pastor, can we take communion? And I said, I would love to serve you communion, but I don't have anything. And so people began going to the vending machines and emptying out their, their bags of snacks and bringing everything together. And we had this feast of, of all sorts of crazy things. And they said, let this be our communion. And so that day, with I think it was a Coke and a donut, we were able to celebrate the communion of Christ in our lives with the tools we had available to us. Now, I know for some people that sounds almost sacrilegious, like as if we're making fun of the Eucharist, but we're not. We're simply experiencing it in the way that we have the tools and abilities to do so. So just like now, I would love to take communion with you, and I want you to use the tools you have available. Grab something to drink and grab something in which you can eat, and let us celebrate Christ's resurrection in our lives. I'll pray while you grab those items, and we will begin together. Lord, consecrate these items. Use them for your purpose, that we might experience the risen Christ in our lives. As we take these things, we're reminded of the freedoms that Christ gave up for us, his very life. He accepted 100% obedience to you in choosing you over his own free will. He accepted the life and death that would be presented to him. And in doing so, God, you blessed him with resurrection. And so today we come to honor you and what Christ has done in our lives, that we might become children of the living God through his offer and his sacrifice. So consecrate these elements in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as silly as it may be, grab whatever you got because what we're going to do is celebrate the Eucharist together. The body of Christ that was given to you and I, the freedoms that were restrained in him as he took on flesh, we now experience together. Take and eat in remembrance of what Christ has done for you and for me. Your drink represents the blood of Christ. What was spilled out or poured out in the Old Testament, a holy God demanded that sin require a sacrifice in order to attain for it. But we don't need that anymore. For Christ came to be our ultimate sacrifice, to, to atone for everything that you and I have ever done and everything we ever will do so that you and I stand holy and set apart just like our God, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. Take and drink and remember this as a marvelous moment in our lives that Christ has set us free. In that newfound freedom, go forth, knowing that you are children of the living God, Know that you can now challenge everything in this world, everything you think and do, everything you react, by simply asking the question, how do I love God and love others? How do I make a decision for my family and myself? I'm going to pray, have some strong counsel, but then I'm going to make a decision. What is best for us? And I'm going to move forward into it. And the third is I'm going to restrain some of my freedoms. I'm going to really look for ways in which I can encourage and equip others. Sometimes silence is the best tool we have for sharing Christ. My friends, 
You are the hope in this world. Go forth as children of the living God, praising him, showing people his kingdom here on earth as it's alive and well in us. Go forth in Jesus' name. Amen.